Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt, and I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson, and we're back with another episode. I'll just cut that out. I just burped, but um, we so this week I, we're doing a podcast called "What um, Should Christians Drink Alcohol?" and I think this is an interesting one because I'm from Wisconsin. You're you aren't you're from New York, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. I'm from Wisconsin. Nick's from New York. I, Wisconsin's got, it's like the drinking capital of the world. I mean, or at least the drinking capital of the United States. It's, it's a lot of alcoholism and, um, I've, it's, there's been alcoholism in my family. There's a lot in like my history and my family and that kind of thing. And so I think it's more of a touchy subject for me. And so I think I get more heated and more fired, fi- uh, fired up about it, but I think it's a good thing to talk about for young Christians and for all Christians to talk about alcohol consumption. And I, I would start by saying, I think there's like a couple ways, or I think there's two like ends of the spectrum here. I think that there's like, well, my fiance, her, she grew up in a church where it was like, don't even look at alcohol. Like mm-hmm. don't touch alcohol. Don't even look at alcohol. That's a sin. And then there's the other Christians who are like, drink as much alcohol as you want, do whatever you want. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it is with most things. And I think that both are, are definitely wrong, but we're trying to figure out is what's the, the right, should Christians drink alcohol at all? And if so, what's the right amount to drink? So we go from there and you can kind of start this off. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, with, as with every issue that ends up being within the realm of Christian liberty, um, the consumption of alcohol is one of those things that it is you're free in Christ to do it and not free in Christ to do it however you please. So I think sorting that out is difficult, but I think that, um, so there's, I think there's like three or four ways to look at this. One is, um, should we drink Two, what is alcohol? Is alcohol a good gift of God or is it a perversion of creation? Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the things Christians should be trying to understand ethically is not, well, why can't I? I, I mean, the, the ethical thinking that starts with why can't I is very sophomoric mm-hmm. and not the way to think morally. The th- way to think morally as a Christian is to recognize God created the world. Mm-hmm. We're his image bearers. And so God has a character and his creation has a teleology or like a purpose, a design. And what we're supposed to do is have the character of God formed in us mm-hmm. and then to engage in his creation as it's designed. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's what we call that in Christianity stewardship that like, yeah. we're, we're, we're pl- placed in the place of God in his creation to do what he would do in it yeah. and, and to take pleasure in it as he does. Like it's supposed to be a very pleasing thing. It's not a slavery, but it's, it's a, it's a trust, right. Is how is, is what the old English would be. So, um, alcohol is so, and, and I do not think that the Bible looks at alcohol as a perversion of creation. Mm-hmm. However, I cannot think there is not, as far as I know, a single reference to drunkenness in the Bible that is positive. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that, that would be a reasonably clear place to start. There's a number of yeah. places in the Bible that assume that alcohol is going to be consumed, used, enjoyed, mm-hmm. and nowhere in the Bible in which drunkenness is referred to positively. Yeah. So then I guess the next question would obviously be then what is drunkenness, right? Yeah. Because I don't, I think this is an argument that I've gotten into a lot of people about like is being buzzed drunk like is that being drunk and i know there's like hard stances on things and like usually like if i talk to my friends or anybody i'm kind of just like you should stay away from being buzzed 
because I don't think that they could handle it after that. But I mean, I know that you probably have a different, you, I know you have a different opinion on that being buzzed. You don't think it's actually drunkenness. So what do you think drunkenness is? Yeah. And is, is um, it clear cut for everybody? Uh, that's a weird, that's a weird. So thing. there are a few, there are a few references in the Bible that refer to a positive gladdening effect of alcohol mm-hmm. in a positive light. Yeah. So for example, in Zechariah 10, seven, it says the even rights will become like mighty men. Their hearts will be glad as with wine. Mm -hmm. Their children will see it and be joyful. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you have people who are drinking wine and their hearts are made glad by it. Mm -hmm. Their children don't see it as something terrible. Their their children see their children drinking wine and glad and they're happy about it. And their hearts are also simultaneously rejoicing in the Lord. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a proverb that says that wine makes the heart glad, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. And like uh, Psalm 104.15 says, wine that talks about, I'm sorry, let me, I should read the verse before it to give it context. Um, that is God. He makes grass grow for the cattle, the plants for man to cultivate, mm-hmm. bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil that makes the face shine, mm-hmm. bread that sustains his heart. Right. And it goes on. Yeah. So in, in Psalm 104, wine that gladdens the heart of man that actually can make us happy mm-hmm. um, is seen as a grace of God. Yeah. And not a perversion of creation. And mm-hmm. so in that case, um, in most cases, the context is wine because that was the predominant alcoholic beverage because wines g- grow great in Israel. Yeah. And when you convert grapes into wine, mm-hmm. you're not cannibalizing your other food sources. Like when you turn mm-hmm. grain into wine, yeah. you're not eating it as bread, you're eating it as wine, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So like grain has multiple uses. You can feed animals, you can yeah. write. So John Wesley, for example, in the 1700s, he really attacked the making of spirits in England, mm. partly because he believed that there wasn't really a good reason for hard alcohol, because mm-hmm. that was just for getting drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also believed that the that that rich because rich people were like buying more horses than they needed. Yeah, and they would actually um, pull their, the horse's face in in a really abusive kind of way, but so the horse couldn't pull as hard, so they'd need almost twice as many horses to mm-hmm. pull a carriage. But that way, they looked so much richer. Mm. And so they would feed these horses all this grain, mm-hmm. right? And then they would make then they would make all the, these spirits for the poor. Right. And what that did is it drove up the wheat price so the mm-hmm. poor couldn't buy bread. Right. Yeah. Right. And he's like, you guys are wicked. Yeah. Because of what you're doing. Because right. grain can be used for multiple things, right? Right. So yeah. Um, so wine, it's not like that. Like using grapes for wine is a good use of grapes. Yeah. You're not creating other economic externalities other that are bad that, for the you poor. Just can eat grapes. That's basically right. all you can do. Yeah. So, um, would you say this is, this is, I'm going to sidetrack really quick. Cause I think that this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's the same with drugs, which I think is a different, like, like, do you think drugs are a perversion of creation or do you like, you know, whatever it's like, like weed or whatever. And we can, mm-hmm. we don't have to go into that. I just thought of that right now. Yeah. So I would say that for drugs, I mean, if by drugs, you mean illicit hard drugs, then I would say probably in most cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If by drugs, you mean things that we use to medicate ourselves in various ways, by dr- then yeah. I would be brought more broadly because I think there can be the po- positive. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the Bible, there isn't really any reference mm-hmm. to pharmaceuticals because very little along those lines exist in those times. Yeah. Most of the stuff was like ointments or like salves. Yeah. Like different kinds of lotions that were made to, because also Israel is a fairly dry climate. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of health conditions relative to that kind of dryness. And so um, it, that kind of stuff is spoken about very positively. Yeah. So I, I would think that the Bible has an, at least an implicit positive doctrine towards pharmaceuticals or the creation of different kinds of things that can help us. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, 
However, I do think that if we were having conversations with Jesus about the modern, not necessarily the modern, modern pharmaceutical industry, but just like mm-hmm. the, our modern use of pharmaceuticals, there would be a lot of yes and no. Yeah. It'd be like, no, no, a lot of this stuff is fantastic. I put mm-hmm. this capacity in the earth. It's really, you're, you're pushing back the curse with it. Right. And then he'd be like, yeah, but how you use some of this stuff is terrible is terrible yeah you're doing it instead of pursuing me and it's an idol and so on right so so i guess it's like you're talking about um well i'm trying i'm thinking i'm i'm distinguishing between i guess the bible doesn't say much about actual like recreational use of drugs or anything like that so you wouldn't say like virtually none nothing about that yeah there just isn't a lot of shamanism in the bible um and even when there is it how that how that's achieved, we're not told. So like yeah. when the witch of Endor brings up the spirit of Samuel, we're not told what she does to do that and whether yeah. or not some kind of hallucinogenic. I was just reading that. I was like, what yeah. the crap happened there? Yeah. So there's a few cases where you're like, I wonder if, but, uh-huh. but there like, there just isn't a peyote culture or something like that in yeah. the Bible. So yeah. there isn't much to be said about that, that yeah. we're going to have to use Christian discernment for things right. like hallucinogenics or yeah. whatever. So like when it comes to something like, should Christians utilize, like, should a Christian go to, Costa Rica to one of those shaman retreats and like yeah. take hallucinogenic mushrooms mm-hmm. to, um, you know, hopefully heal from a PTSD or something like that. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast probably. Yeah. Like, yeah. I do think that, the, I do think some of those drugs can be used medicinally in the right kind of context. I wouldn't associate it with, a, I wouldn't do it in association with occultic practices. Yeah. Um, I would do it. That would be like hitting at the table of, uh, of pagans in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's just, it's not clear in the Bible. One thing, one thing that's really frustrating for Christians is it's really not clear in the Bible. What allows demonic entities to enter into your life and in what way? Yeah. And engaging in hallucinogenic shamanism just doesn't sound like it's on the right side of the train tracks for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I would do that. But but if I was struggling with PSD badly enough or something else that psychologists have tried to use some of these drugs to help alleviate, I, I wouldn't. I'm, I might try it. Mm. Um, I know that there's some research that says that like four or less uses of that within a highly positive and controlled psychotherapeutic context can be very helpful for certain about like things. D- DMT type? situation not dmt is that i don't know enough about the research i just know that there there is some i I know there is some psychological research that says that for certain psychological disorders it's a a, like not a constant use but like a clinical use of right like lsd sorts of like mushrooms mushrooms sorts of hallucinogenics um has been helpful in moderating like intense ptsd or some things like that and as a as a christian i'm not going to say like no god didn't make those dang mushrooms. Right. Like, That's I, the question. But I think that I, I think with substance, it's, it's much more of a question of what are you using them for? Yeah. Where are they taking you? Right. And so on. And are you going to be able to stop doing it? Even if you're using it for the right use. And I mean, in the first place, and then mm-hmm. are you going to be able to stop using them when you're okay or when right. you're feeling healthy? Yeah. Know. And so, I mean, I don't have any problem saying I think crack cocaine is a perversion of creation. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I think that the substances out of which it's originally made can't be used for good Mm -hmm. in other ways. Mm. So, you know, so I think I I think heroin's probably a perversion of creation, but I don't think that opium is inherently a perversion. Opium's a flower. You know, the poppy is a flower. It has opium in it. Right. And that's what keeps people from screaming in agony. Right. I mean, morphine, I think, has been used for good mm-hmm. and evil, but mm-hmm. it's been used for a lot of good. So right. I think with pharmaceuticals, it gets more complicated. I think in the yeah. Bible, there's so much explicitly said about alcohol Yes, yeah. that I think 
I think it's easier to be like, okay, it's very clear. So, so getting back to usage just, and how, yeah. how far we go. So there, I think there's good evidence in the Bible that says that wine can quote, make the heart glad. Yeah. Now I know it's colloquial to say that means something like buzzed because even quote buzzed has a range, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. I mean, one person will drink half a beer. I mean, half a beer, they're lightweight and they'll, right. they'll get buzzed and one person will drink three or four and they, and maybe there'll be a little buzz, but like right. just depends. I mean, that all depends on who, how your body is. I want to, I want to back it up really quick though, because I think just for context, like, I mean, I hang around with a lot of young people and there does seem to be a, and maybe this would be a better place to start instead of, instead of starting with like too theoretical. Yeah. Yeah. yeah get real practical. Like, if you want. That'd be like people are like the people that I'm around, um, sometimes and people who are younger people my age are basically like they take the the stance of like well god gave us alcohol and he wants us to drink alcohol and then they don't really have any off switch but they use that as an exam as a way to basically drink as much as they want to and they know like intellectually they'll say that like drunkenness is a sin but they also like when you get into certain situations like weddings or like things like that where it's like every once in a while I guess you're allowed to get drunk or something like that. It, I I don't I don't agree with that but it feels like a lot of young people are just like you can kind of just get drunk and drink at your own discretion and they have terrible discretion and so mm-hmm. they end up getting drunk way more than they think that they're going to get drunk or they'll get drunk and then they'll claim to be buzzed. And so there seems to be <laughs> like you're not buzzed like if you drove a car I don't know where it would end up. But I I think like there seems to be this culture, especially in Wisconsin, especially in Madison with the UW and everything where people are just like, like, it's almost like this is no big deal. Like, it's just like no big deal. I'll drink if I want mm-hmm. and I'm not doing as bad as everybody else. So I'm, I'll drink twice a month and I'll, I'll get drunk twice a month. And Yeah. There's a psychologist that goes to my church that has been here for like 25 or 30 years. Yeah. And she said, if I had to try to guess to win money, what percentage of student comes out of UW with alcoholic tendencies? Oh. So she wouldn't say is an alcoholic, but right. she would say like, like drinks dry, dry very, alcohol. Yeah. Like yeah. drinks very carelessly yes. and recklessly. Yeah. And that that becomes part of their life going forward yes. after being a student. A hundred percent. She said, she said, she said that she would put the number somewhere around 40%. 40%. Yeah. And I, well, I think she's being conservative. Yeah. But, I but like, but I mean, think, I mean, I mean, think about if, imagine any, if I said any institution in America, if you sent your kid there, mm-hmm. there was a 40% chance they would come out with alcoholic tendencies. Yeah. And then add yes. to this, if they're a girl, um, yeah. like what the percent chance of them being sexually assaulted is, especially if the and, college drinks that way, since about 80% of female sexual assaults are profoundly alcohol related. Yes, like your right. people aren't buzzed. They're sloshed. Yeah. Oftentimes mm-hmm. nearly unconscious. Yeah. And so um, those two things go hand in hand, of course. Right. And so I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if UW Madison had significantly higher than average nationally yeah. sexual right. assault or sexual, uh, maybe I would I say something like um, sexual, sexual sin seems too broad, but like women and men treating each other in ways they would know better than if they didn't if drink they the alcohol. Drunk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why men drink a lot relative to sexual sin too, even though I think they tend to feed women more because they, they need to get women drunker than themselves. Yeah. But there's a, I think both men and women drink for the pacification of conscience, right? There's, yes. There's yeah. other reasons too Yeah. that I'll get to in a little bit, but 
Um, I, I do think that's a part of it. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you, I mean, what would you say to those young people? I'm talking about more young Christians. As right. when I say young people, I'm saying young Christians who are claiming to be believers and you'll go to weddings, you'll go to like, I mean, even like if you want to go watch like the Bucks game at a bar or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, it's like they're drinking way too much and it's like, mm-hmm. I can notice it and I, other people can notice it, but they, they, I mean, if you talk to them about it, it's kind of like, don't judge me on this. Like I have a good grasp on what I, what's good for me and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, I don't think you have a good grasp on anything and much mm-hmm. less what's good for you. So yeah. So how far you should go with a girl or a guy and how much should you drink are two areas where your yeah. own judgment is you should keep more counsel than your it's own extremely judgment. biased. Of course, you're right. going to want to go farther with a guy right. or a girl. <laughs> right, and there's very there's very specific reasons for both of those, because both of those produce states of an altered state of consciousness where you're not thinking right. Yeah, it's a little bit like saying, I know exactly how I'm behaving when I'm mad. Mm. Right. Anything that happens in human life where you know that your body or your consciousness goes into an altered state. You can't really trust yourself to think utterly clearly. But you feel satisfied in right. a lot of ways. Right, yeah. right. And you feel like you're right. You're so addictive. sure you're right. Yeah, it's yeah. And and, f- and the feeling right is part of what feels good. Yes, right. And No uh, matter how wrong you are, if you're right. super mad, you're going to feel like you're really, really right. Yeah. I, mean, I've, I know that. And yeah. that works even okay. if you both, if you feel like you, if you feel the pang of conscience and you don't want to feel that, or yeah. if you feel racked by indecision and neuroticism, Right. Then being angry feels really good. Like I was having, yeah. I was having this issue with my kids where I really wasn't sure what to do. Yeah. And, but my kid wasn't behaving very well and I started getting really angry at this child. Yeah. And I was having like these nervous, these like anxious symptoms, like my chest was hurting. Really? My like, I, yeah, I have a couple other symptoms too that come like when I get really like anxiously stressed about something. And the uh-huh. more I felt angry at this, at my child, the better I felt. <laughs> That's All the crazy. anxiety went away. I felt, I felt almost euphoric. I felt so good. Yeah. And I realized like, this is really bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, cause this, because cause, that becomes a way of life after a little while, mm-hmm. because you're like the only way for me to do this. And that's what, that's exactly what alcoholism does. And that's exactly what like sexual sin does It's because if you're not doing this thing that relieves this sort of pain, yeah. then you feel the pain and you don't want to feel the pain. So you're just going to keep doing the thing and that's going right. to become who you are and what your life is about. Yeah. So before we get into why do so many Christians and people feel like they need alcohol? Yeah. Let's just, let's focus on whether or not. So, so one, whether or not they should drink. The Bible has a positive view of alcohol. Mm-hmm. It can make the heart glad, yes. but it, ref, it refers to drunkenness many times and mm-hmm. always negatively. Yeah. And in many cases, catastrophically negative. Mm-hmm. So, for example, two of the early drunkenness passages in the Bible that demonstrate drunkenness as something that cre- creates terrible fruit in human life yeah. is Noah, after he gets off the ark, one yeah. of the first things he does is he plants a vineyard, drinks some of its fruit, gets drunk, naked, mm-hmm. and that, and then one of his sons sees him naked, and there may have been some kind of sexual abuse there. We don't, I mean, it's just yeah. all it says explicitly is he saw him naked, and yeah. the other brothers had more respect for their father than to gaze upon him drunk and naked, hmm. and that created this split in the in this family that had just gotten off the ark and was like right. humanity's new hope. And there were previously just God was like, this is like the last Noah's the last like person on earth that right. I would trust with this, and he's a godly man, and then he gets off and he's doing this stuff. So. Right, and in some ways, in the narrative of Scripture, we're meant to see that even Noah isn't totally righteous. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, I actually thought that the terrible Hollywood movie about Noah. <laughs> I was, didn't watch that. I heard it was horrible. It was horrible. However, yeah. the connection of the traumatic nature of surviving the annihilation of all mankind leading to Noah getting drunk. Yeah. 
I thought was pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, because like in the Bible, you're just kind of like, he just gets drunk. Yeah, that's so dumb. Like it's like yeah, he was on a boat. But you're like <laughs> you were on a boat, and like yeah. in the movie, you can you there the boat's moving, and you can hear the screams of people, and he's just like in oh. the boat, hearing them huh. all screaming and dying. Yeah, and you're kind of like, yeah, this would be a very traumatic. Yeah, that would suck. Thing. And Even, you get out and you're going to want to do something. Yeah. You're going to want to get drunk or something because that sucks. Yeah. Cause in, in, and like you can imagine too that like you're walking around and you just come up on bodies, human bodies. And they're Probably. decomposing everywhere, you know. Yeah. And like so like like the idea that this could have been very, very traumatic is like not lost on me, right? So and then the second one is Lot when he leaves Sodom. So he's in Sodom. Oh. They, they make it like Lot and his daughters make it out of Sodom. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like. They are righteous. Yeah. Law is called righteous. Mm-hmm. Right. So he gets out of Sodom and his daughters are like, we don't have a people anymore. Mm-hmm. So like, there's no way to get husbands for us. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they get him drunk and they have sex with their father and they have incestuous children with him because he allows yeah. his daughters to get him drunk, which get, which gets back to the question is, is it okay to get drunk with your family? <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. That's probably, you know, not, there's not. Both in the case of Noah and Lot, it didn't turn out great. Yeah. Um, It also shows that a righteous man can be manipulated. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's what happens in Lot's case. And that happens twice. Well, and it's it's probably adds more dynamics to it. The the family aspect probably adds more dynamics that just is like, I want to do that. I want to like love my family. And then you add alcohol to that. I I don't like it. You never know where that's going to go. Where if like, I mean, yeah, that's just crazy. And a lot of alcoholism in Wisconsin is built, is like, familial it's right. like it's what the family's doing together they drink and i've been told that by lots of people that it was it wasn't college that, that a lot created of yeah. their bad drinking it was they brought it with them from they their family it. culture yeah. and then college was a place where their family culture of just mm-hmm. drinking whatever you wanted could do all the more damage because there were no yes. practical restraints right there's nobody that was like you're being an idiot or you need to stop drinking i mean right. and there was no mom around right yeah and even like I mean, some of the moms and dads yeah. buying their kids alcohol. I yeah. mean, it's just a whole mess, but yeah. I mean. Okay. So back to the issue of like, why shouldn't you trust your own counsel with how far to go with a woman or a man right. drinking alcohol or even being angry? Anything that produces an altered state of consciousness, mm-hmm. you're, the altered state of consciousness always has more effect than you think it does. Mm-hmm. And the, the effect of that altered state of consciousness is pleasurable and addictive. Yeah. So like when you're making out with a girl yeah. and what what it does is it, it turns on just a, a random girl. My, yes. my, my fiance. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, you is yeah. generic. Okay. So yeah. you, oh, the gotcha. listener the or people. somebody right, right. is like making mm-hmm. out with some girl. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The, the issue is, is like mm-hmm. what you are starting a physiological effect that is mm-hmm. designed to get you to have sex. Okay. Yes. Because every right. human being knows that like having children has problems. Yeah. And, but but mm-hmm. the minute you like do something that you couldn't do with your sister, hmm. your body goes, okay, here's a possible mating partner and it's driving you towards fertility. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why there's yeah. human beings. Right. And so what happens is it's always a step ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Like arousal is always per- trying to persuade you to have sex. Yes. Right. And so therefore to go further and further and further and further. And each time it gets you to go one step further, it's harder to not go another step further. And it's like a ball rolling downhill. And so arousal is designed to get you to intercourse. So this idea that we're like, well, we'll just go around. Well, except you're, you're playing with a dynamic that's literally inside of you. That's hormonally leading you. It's not like, like there's some guys, it's, it's, this is so dumb, but you can see how you could, if you're, you don't think about it, you could think this way. It's not like when you get aroused, blood rushes to your genitals 
and like you get an erection and that's it. No, chemicals are released in your brain. Yeah. There's that more to it. Interferes yeah. with your thinking to get you to have sex with a person who you're interacting with. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. And that's a more powerful effect yes, than right. The, arou- the physical arousal in yeah. your genitals, right? That's one of the reasons why people say yeah. you, uh, that, uh, that a, a hard male genital has no conscience. Mm-hmm. People have said, yeah. because that's true. And it's because there's, there's multiple effects in arousal. Yeah. There is the erection to get you ready to have sex, but then there's the mental effect that gets you to, that gets you to have sex, yeah. right? And so that's one of the reasons why people re- regret, re- regret sexual actions a lot. Yeah, because they get into arousal and everything is like you're that, jacked up and you're right, ready to go and then right. you get done with it and you're and, like and all Whoa. of that altered state of conscious chemicals and you dissipates immediately right like uh, yeah. as fast as ejaculation happens it's right. gone and you're like what the heck did I just do right and right. alcohol seems like the hangover is similar to that where the, right. the hangover in the morning is like what did I just do last night I don't ever want to do that again right. well in some of, ways sometimes. arousal and drunkenness do the same thing to the brain yeah in that they say huh. I don't care about the consequences. Yeah. Right. We think drinking and driving, like why would people drink and drive? They know they're not supposed to do it. Right. But that's the problem. Yeah. What alcohol does you is it dampens a part of your brain. Not Mm. that knows it's wrong, but it dampens the part that cares cares that it's wrong. wrong. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's so critical. We've got a printer printing stuff out right now in the middle of the podcast. We have two printers in our house that have the same name. Oh. And so people are using it. it That's fine. So, okay. So I, so that, so both in, so both in terms of sexuality and, and in terms of alcohol and in terms of things like anger, because anger also produces something in your brain that says, I have to fight for this. I'm right. right." I mean, I can't tell you how many times where I've just like gotten pissed about something and just like verbally assault, just machine gun all just, it felt amazing because I was pissed about something. Mm -hmm. And then maybe like five minutes, 10 minutes after I'm done, I was like, I think I shouldn't have said 99% of what I right. said. Even, and I wasn't right. It, it was you, were, you were literally 100% sure you were right when you were yelling. When you're yelling about and it. And then yeah. later you're kind of like, I wasn't. That was I wasn't bad. Right. Yeah. And right. even more so, it's like, I just cut a bunch of people down and treat them like crap. Because, like, I, the things right. I said were not good. Right. Yeah. And so, all these things that produce these, like, where, where there's like a massive effect on your mind. Yeah. Right. Um, you cannot trust your own counsel. So yes, you have two right. options. One is you can believe the people around you that are worthwhile yeah. co-travelers or two, you can assume you're wrong. Yeah. You, you can have so clearly in your mental discipline that you're wrong that even when your mind says it's right, you know, it's wrong. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like one of the things I tell um, men who are sexually addicted is I'm like, when you feel that need, like mm-hmm. I have to do this, your mind will tell you it's inevitable that you will do it. And yeah. you have to know in your mind so clearly that that is not true. Yeah. That you understand it's not true even when your mind is telling you that it is 100% inevitable and it feels like it is. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so same thing is true with anger. Like when anger flares up and part of the Christian discipline relative to godliness is to be like anger does not produce the righteousness of God. That's a, yeah. that's a verse yeah. from scripture, right? right? Anger just does not produce righteousness of God. You have yeah. to know that in your bones so that when anger flares up, you go, this is not going to produce the answer yeah. that uh-huh. I need to produce as a follower of Jesus right. and as a human being living out the image of God. Right. So, yeah. and, and, the same, and so the same thing is true for alcohol. But these are all interesting. What well, real quick? I just want to say these are interesting because like anger, um, sexual addiction, and alcoholism, where the, and I, I'm sure you're going to get to this, but like these are these can be extremely negative things, but they can also be positive things in certain ways. Where like obviously alcohol can be used positively, sex should be used positively in marriage, and 
And I think there's a place for anger as Jesus was flipping the, the tables in the temple courts. Mm-hmm. It's not all, it's not as much as I'd want it to be. Right. I wish that anger, you know, we could do it whenever we wanted. But I think the confusing thing about the language surrounding these things is that alcohol, sex, and anger are just the words used. And in the Bible, one time it'll tell you, like, like, uh, anger, what was one you just said? The, the wrath of God. Anger doesn't produce the righteousness of the, God. The righteousness of God, right. And then in the next, he'll look at Jesus, who's completely pissed off at the, at, and in the temple courts. And you're mm-hmm. like, was that the righteousness of God or was Jesus sinning? And you're like, well, Jesus can't sin. So you go down and then it was like, or similarly to like drunkenness is there's nothing positively spoken about drunkenness. And yet when we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, you made the point that Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding where people were all like, you can almost be positive that the people were getting drunk at this wedding. And well, they were drinking enough to make their hearts glad. But right? yeah, so th- like they weren't drinking to let, to enjoy the taste of wine like a nice white suburbanite. Yeah. Ooh, like smell that. Is, oh, that's has yes, a, that has right. a it's a little drier than the blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think that's what people did, no. and I don't think that's what God intended. I'm not saying it's bad. Yeah. I'm just saying that's not really the purpose. Yeah. But the per- part of the purpose of wine is to make the heart glad. To right. like to have that. What you might just you might even just call it like a pre buzz where mm-hmm. like all like that you start to feel the effects of like the stress of the day and stuff kind of leaving. Yeah. But you still know where you are, what you're doing. Yeah. And yeah. also, I th- so for me, the biggest issue is, do you have full moral control of your faculties? How do you, how do you... That's, for me, that's the line. How do you then, well, then how do you, how do you interact with the language though in scripture when you're mm-hmm. reading it? How do I read one thing that tells me one thing and then the next thing that tells me, that shows me something completely... I mean, the anger thing was interesting about like, Jesus is just pissed and I, and I see that and I'm like, and the prophets get, you know, the prophets kind of sound off on people. Well, There's nothing in the Bible that says anger is sin. Right. Right. What it's, what, what what it says is that anger is dangerous. Like, so when it says in the scripture in your, be angry, but don't sin. Yeah. What, What it's saying is, is like, there's nothing necessarily wrong with anger. But it doesn't. What it produces isn't righteous. Yeah. But generally in the, in the case where, where it says, um, more literally, it says the wrath of man the wrath doesn't, doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Of God. That's right, yeah. And wrath isn't necessarily the same thing as anger, anger right? Yeah. And so um, when scripture says, be angry, but do not sin, what it's saying yeah. is there are times when anger is the proper emotion, mm-hmm. but anger has built into it a self-indulgence yeah. that you easily begin to not care about the moral consequences of your actions. And you got to master anger before you understand, or before you, you understand right. when to use it. And probably when you've mastered anger, you right. understand that you're going to need to use it less. Right. And yeah. I, I mean, the same is true of sexual desire. Yeah. I have, I have a lot of sexual desire. I have to control mm-hmm. and I have a little bit of sexual desire. I just give full reign to with mm-hmm. my spouse. Mm-hmm. And even then not every sexual desire that like pops into my head, mm-hmm. even with my spouse, mm-hmm. do I give full reign to. Right. Right. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, but, and yet I want to live as free and openly right. to enjoy that as possible. And so like, this is the, I mean, this is why there is no shortcut to godliness. These are interesting things. Cause I even think about people who are young people who are married or this, this mindset is like, once I get married, like anything goes in the bedroom. And that's not like, I mean, that's not true. I mean, you're not going to, you can't be like, I mean, there's, I'm not going to make any explicit statements, but there's a lot of explicit things that you like really shouldn't do. I mean, Piper was like anything that you 
I can't remember what the question was in one of his Desiring God podcasts or Ask Pastor John, but it was basically like, if your desire, if you're playing out sinful sexual acts with your wife, mm-hmm. they're still sinful sex- sexual acts. It doesn't change it that she's that it's your wife. Like mm-hmm. whether it's like, I don't know what what examples there would be, but it feels like like she's a French maid you've never met. Yeah, something crazy. Yeah, dressing up or something like that, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. You're just playing out a se- different sexual act with your wife. Yeah, and yeah. I think that, young people yeah, think they can do it. Like, anything even you sexual want. fantasies, I think. Like if somebody said, can I fantasize with my wife that she and I are somewhere else? Like I would be like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's, that's but if, can you, can you pretend, can you fantasize that your wife is a woman from work? No. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the difference is like, what's you the can thing fantasize that, is, that you're in Kauai on yeah, a beach. Yeah, right. That's fine. You can even put yeah. sand in your bed if you want, but, <laughs> yeah. but you're going to have to clean it. And yeah. But like fine. you can't, yeah. but, but cause that wouldn't, there's nothing but simple about that. But you can't pretend that you your wife a, is a Hawaiian if right. she, she's that's not. Some random yeah. Hawaiian girl. Yeah, some random Hawaiian girl. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, even some things are, and there are some things that are permissible, but not beneficial. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I tell couples in marriage counseling when we talk about sex mm-hmm. and they, and they, they, if they want to talk about permissibility, mm-hmm. one of the things that I tell them is I don't think that you should utilize sexual positions in which you are not face to face more than say 10% of your sexual encounters. They're not, it's not literally wrong. Quote, yeah, it's not like a sin, but you're also, yeah. it, I, I understand that. From partly, the- partly because the reason why certain sexual positions are quote hot is because it evokes something that the ancients would have called the infernal side of the heart of man, mm. as opposed to the adorational side. I think about that because I mean, there is something to like like certain sexual acts that are not facing the woman that make you feel like you are more powerful, like as a man, mm-hmm. and that's like that's addicting feeling. And then, right. and to do that with your wife, you just have to be like. No, like, I, I guess I just think about it as like, I just have to be like, no, that, that I don't really want to be like more powerful in this way than my wife. That doesn't even really, I mean, that's, it doesn't seem right. Healthy. So like one of the things I, I, okay. So we're talking about sex more than alcohol, and alcohol. but like, it's all. but so, so, but, but part of the issue, part of the issue here is, is that even stuff that is permissible yeah. has to be used in a certain way so that it's beneficial, right? This is first Corinthians six. Mm-hmm. Everything is permissible for me, but Paul says, yeah, but not everything's beneficial. Right. So there are things that you are free in Christ to use. And in, yes. in first Corinthians six, he's talking about sex, yeah. but you can, you could put alcohol right in there, right? Yeah. That like, you're free to use it. It is permissible, but is it beneficial? Right. And then in the next couple of verses, he says, everything's benef- everything's permissible for me. Yes. But I will not be enslaved by anything. Hmm. Right. So some of these things, which was probably the fundamental right. fundamentalists take that and they're like, okay, is alcohol so permissible? Okay. Right. It, but is it beneficial? It's permissible, no. but yeah. it takes control of too many people. It yeah. isn't beneficial. And in too I many understand cases. that. Part of me is like, a part of me wants to go on that side of it and just be right. like, well, if you have any alcoholism in your family or yeah. if you have a volatile personality, yes. then oftentimes you're like, well, this is just going to create nonsense. I knew if I and, touched right. alcohol. And so for you, yeah. for you personally, you might say, Biblically speaking, alcohol is permissible. Right. I'm not going to drink it because right. I just don't think I'm I'm there. Yes. And right. do you think it's healthy to be like, for me and my family, like we're not going to drink alcohol. Like we're not going to have anything to do with that. I mean, because mm-hmm. I've talked about this with Andrea is that like, I just don't feel comfortable. I mean, in public drinking, especially either of us. So and, you go out to dinner with your, with Andrea when she's your wife like yeah. next week. Yeah. And she wants to have a glass of wine. Yeah. You're, are you okay with that? I don't know. It makes me okay. feel extremely uncomfortable. I, I probably not to be completely honest. It makes me feel. Cause I'll just tell you this. Um, when she it's doesn't di- want to, when, when really. you have two children yeah. and being a mommy is stressful yeah. and you go out to dinner on Thursday night, that's your date night for yeah. that week or fortnight. And she's like, 
you're going to like me a lot better in three hours if I have a glass of wine or two. Yeah. That, that is, that is like the make the heart glad. Like yeah. it'll take away the, right. just the, just the uptightness and the right. nervousness. And cause she's been a mom for right. a week and she's right. had her whole job is, has been to be right. negative in the sense, not negative towards the children to be positive towards the children, but negative in terms of keeping them alive. Yes. Yeah. And so Correct. she has, that yeah. produces a certain kind of uptightness. Right. And if she wants to sit down with her, right. whatever she eats and she's like, I just, I think I should have a couple glasses of wine. Right. As a husband, you may find yourself like, well, I'm not going to have a glass, but you right. can have a couple glasses of wine. In fact, yeah. I encourage you to. Yeah. And that's, that's a cheap, always, and that's a cheap $20. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. For her to it, be yeah. totally emotionally unanxious right. and like, but not drunk. So and, totally herself yes. in control of her right. moral qualities yeah. and able to be her full self with you sexually if your date gets that far. And hopefully it will. Hopefully it will. But um, I mean, I think initially thinking about these things, this is something I mean, I've talked about with her and just alcohol in general, like it makes me feel uncomfortable because it feels like why, why do we need to, my, my initial re- reaction is like, why do we need to rely on alcohol to, to like loosen us up? And that's a great segue. Yeah. So wh- why do we need to rely on alcohol? Cause in my whole life and maybe I'm an anomaly, I felt like I could flip the switch pretty well. Like from like, if I was super stressed about whatever, if I was hanging out with friends or with people and stuff like that, like even going on a date, like I felt pretty loose and I felt like I could just have fun and kind of break out whenever. I know not everybody's like that. And I think it has to do with like personality types in some capacity. And like part, part of me is like, just wants to have fun and, and have a party. Right. But it does, it's also been frustrating that people are so heavily reliant on alcohol too. For yeah. This. So this gets to the question of, is alcohol a coping mechanism for you on par with a couple of aspirin or on par with heroin? <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause like on one level, like if my wife is like, man, the kids have been tough today. I have have a splitting headache. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take, take some, some ibuprofen. Yeah, right. I don't, like, I don't yeah. go, you know, that's a coping mechanism, yeah. darling. Like that why can't you to, just handle this? Yeah, yeah, right? but, yeah. Because there's a certain amount of like, She'd probably tell you to like F off or something too. I mean, yeah, my wife would be more articulate than that, but but the content would be similar. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I would never say that because I'd be like, yeah, you know, take, take your, take a couple aspirin. Right. Um, and so if after a long week of parenting and all the stuff that she does, um, if she sips on a glass of whiskey while we were talking, Mm -hmm. talking to each other, I don't think a thing about that. Yeah. And if it makes her heart a little bit glad, I think that that's within the biblical parameters of the positive usefulness of alcohol. Yeah. But if my wife was getting lit because she couldn't handle her life because being married to me was just too hard. And yeah. like by nine o'clock, she was like yelling at people and like, yeah, that Slap wouldn't, me. I wouldn't be like, well, it's a coping mechanism. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Drink so, and be, be glad, be merry. Yeah. Right. And, and then you have to recognize and factor in the fact that it's easy to slide from one to the other. Well, and we have to also factor in the fact that the people that I'm generally talking about are women who don't have kids and their life is really not that stressful. They're going to UW right, or they're going so the, to the so college. So the question is, what are we coping with? Right. Right. And so yeah. one of the things that Lexi said, I was hoping she was going to come in here and do a little rant. These women and these men don't have, I mean, right. these people just, their lives are not that stressful. So they, they're, so, okay. So there are certain, there are certain dynamics in Christian faith. Is she going to come in and say anything at all? She doesn't appear to be doing it. Um, uh, so, text her and tell her so one of the things that is true about Christian faith, I think sometimes is there are ways in which to believe in Christian faith in a really intense way, but not in a very wise way yeah. that actually make Christian faith harder and worse. So yeah. for example, you can say, I want to be, so anti-purity culture is an example of this yes. where like people wanted to be really pure 
and they pursued it in a certain kind of way and it ended up producing a really big backlash because people got really angry about it. I mean, you talked about that earlier this morning just with me, but I was con- I was a little bit confused when I was thinking about it. It was like, what was the backlash when it was just like, hey, don't look at a woman's boobs or whatever. Like, like don't look there. Just like look away, basically. When you're telling men to do that, like why would anybody be mad about that? Aren't women the ones who don't want to be objectified? And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, so, so the advice from the man is, if you're going to just stare at a woman to look at her boobs, just stop. And then that right. seems like you're not objectifying her anymore. So I mean, I'm, a, I'm, 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 I always, I'm confused with what the backlash is there. Yeah. Women. So, so there's, there's three objections. I'm getting older, so it's hard for me to hold so many thoughts in my head at once. So one is, is that, um, a lot of those books would have said something like, listen, if you're a dude and a woman, you see a woman with boobs, your eyes are going to those boobs. Right. Yeah. And that's totally normal masculinity. Mm-hmm. So, and so here's what you have to do. You have to cope with it. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of women and some men who in more recent years have been like, no, that's like an addicted, se- like perversely sexualized. Men don't have to be that way, which is partially true. But when you sexualize men inordinately in a, in a pornogra- pornography and sexualized culture yes. for 80 or 80 or more years. Yeah. The idea that you're going to have men walking around who aren't sexualized is kind of naive in my and view. It's ridiculous. Well, then is, do you agree I though, mean, to United, some in extent? In the United States, the average, the average age of men for their first exposure to pornography is eight. Yes. Right. And it's getting younger. I mean, like. It and used, more profound, right? Yes. And the smartphone has like multiplied this by many times. And the type of, I mean, it used to be like. You, and, like you, and you have women who are 15 sending nudes to men yes. and then complaining about being sexualized. Right. Exactly. And so they're, so both for men and women. Right. So I don't want to say this is just women. For This is true for men too, because men right. have been incredibly complicit in our sexualization. Right. Right. And, huh. But women yeah. have also been complicit in their objectification. Mm-hmm. And it's partly because of reasons of competition, right? We're all competing for stuff. And so anyway, the point is, is and that the women, I, and I'm just going to say, I don't know what you think about this, but I feel like women naturally follow men in society. So if the men are overly sexualized, the women to get these men are going to over sexualize themselves. Right. I mean, that's, that's part of the competition is like the women are like, this is what I want. I want a man to take care of me. The only thing that these men are going to want is me to be over sexualized. So I'm going to, over-sexualize myself to get what I want and it ends up being a total mess which I think yeah. if you could clean up the men in our society I think the women would follow and think and it would that would be the better way to start yeah I think so that gets in a whole the arguments about white knightism and all of that and <laughs> and so I, that's a yeah I don't want to go too far like we can right. have podcasts just on that yeah but the, the point I'm getting at is that w- why do we use alcohol and so in some areas right. of Christian life right we have engaged in ways of talking and thinking about things like sexuality mm-hmm. in ways that you can argue were repressive in a way that a certain kind of sex positivity is necessary for a balancing. Yeah. So for I've been in, I've been in um, like certain Christian circles where to talk about sexuality is to talk about something that's an enemy that's bad. It's only been talked about negatively in mm-hmm. at home and at church. Oh yeah. And so I think it's one of the reasons why some younger Christians have both grasp the concept of the permissibility of drinking as mm-hmm. well as 
they have not paid very significant attention to the biblical commands about restraining ourselves sexually. Right. I mean, 80% of evangelical Christians are having sex and dating relationships and it should be zero. 80%. 80%. 80%. Oh yeah. We're not that, we're not that far off the world. And, and when it comes to pornography, it's like 99%. Yeah. I, it's I, very similar. Right. Yeah. And th- this gets back to like the observation that Christian divorce rates weren't all that different. Now, socio- sociologically, that's not really true. Mm-hmm. Um, if you sub subdivide Christians by church attendance, Oh yeah. People who go to church two months, two times a month or more are much less likely to get divorced divorced, than people who don't go at all. So just people who like that, those studies are taking off the people who say they're Christians rather than people who are attending churches. Who behave at all like Christians. So if if you try to come up with any... The bare minimum going to church twice a month. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, um, so, so what, what happens I think is, is that if you have these cultures where either A, people are struggling with really profound senses of self-hatred and inferiority or B, um, they have a very repressed understanding of sexuality yeah. rather than a constrained one. So Christianity is a constrained view of sexuality. Right. Sexuality is good, but it has to be constrained within certain bounds because it's, high, it's highly explosive. It's very potent. Yes. Because it's so potent, it has to be used teleolo- teleologically for what it's for, yeah. bearing the image of God in creation, right? Like sex is part of creation. Yeah. It's part of rep- reproductivity and the pleasures wrapped up in that. Right. And we're supposed to do it as image bearers. Right. Right. And so, but it's extremely potent. So yeah. therefore it's constrained. That's different than repressed. Yeah. As though that we're pretending it's something that it's not right. pretending it's less than it is or pretending it's bad when it's not bad. And I don't think anybody in with, when it comes to alcohol like, or alcohol would disagree that that actually that's like, that would be a healthy way of looking at alcohol because a lot of people who, who I guess are, I mean, in Wisconsin, I know of like they have alcoholism in their family that they probably wish that they didn't have. And Mm they probably wish that, you know, their parents just like restrained themselves a little bit and just didn't drink so much and cause all this crap that they have to deal with now. But I I also know Christians in Wisconsin, they're associated with high point church whose parents behaved in ways that, are at least alcoholic-ish, who yeah. do utilize alcohol carefully, prudently, and I think well, it's part of the culture too. Here, I mean, it's yeah. it is it's but a they, heavy. But culture. they tend to be pretty careful about it. Yeah. So, um, I, I think Jill has Jill been on the podcast. Jill Reese, yeah, on this all podcast? the time. Oh yeah. yeah. So like Jill and Tim are a good example of this. They are not alcoholophobics, but they also are pretty careful about their alcohol use, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and I don't think they normally have to be because they're around people that are all, all have a shared idea about yeah. what alcohol right. consumption should be like. It yeah. can make glad the heart and drunkenness is unwise right. and sinful. Yeah. Right. And so, um, I think when you have those people around you who really have a strong conviction about that right, and are mature enough to exert Christian prudence, then th- this, all this concern about alcohol just kind of melts away. Right. Hmm. But when you have folks that, um, that don't, and so part of the issue is, is that if you're a Christian person and you recognize that there are, the Bible does not speak about drunkenness positively. Why are you doing this? Why do you get buzzed and then believe you're not drunk, but you really are? And I, and I think some of the reason for that, some of it can be just rebellion, mm-hmm. but some of it can be, if you're struggling with a profound sense of inferiority as a man, mm-hmm. getting a little past buzz you see, you see, you're not, if, if you're trying to get over a psychological strong negative, mm-hmm. then buzzed isn't enough. Well, I, yes. I mean, I've seen guys. Cause you're still totally yourself. And if you feel like an inferior person, you still feel inferior. Yes. I feel like the, I've seen guys who, when they're sober, they're like generally complete cowards. Right. And then when they get a little bit of alcohol in them and they start to get a little bit drunk, they start to feel a little bit more assertive and like they want to fight everybody. Yeah. And you're like. 
this is probably what you wish you were like all the time or maybe not so right. much to or the, bold or like or, they feel they ask out girls they would never ask out i mean exactly. I, I remember when i was in high school i've only been i've only been even close to drunk in my life maybe a couple of times yeah but there was one time in high school where i was in a i was in a, a play and we had like a cast party yeah and i drank five drinks over four hours yeah. so not a lot right but it was enough for me to take away some of that inferiority, inferiority inhibition. Yes, right. And I like I couldn't ask out a girl. I couldn't ask for anything for a girl that they would say no. I just yeah. couldn't believe it, and I couldn't believe I was asking. And it, it was just kind of like, what is happening? And right then now? that's adds adds onto the drug. Like right. you're just like, okay, now I can get girls. I can do Wait, all these. I drank things. some of this liquid and it became a god. It's basically like, what the frick just yeah, happened. Like to where has it been my whole life? Yeah, yeah. It's like a magic potion for a lot of people because I've right. seen that right after high school. And it's school. not just yeah. like, hey, I I drank this, I drank this, and this girl let me kiss her and squeeze her boobs. Right. Like it's more than that. It's I feel like I'm worthless. All the, all day long, right. and now everybody thinks I'm the, I'm the best. And when I do yeah. this, I feel like a god, right. I, or I feel exactly. great, or right. I connect with somebody, yes. or whatever. Or I'm more funny, or everybody mm-hmm. thinks I'm the like the life of the party, right. and I've never been the life of anything. And right, that, and I do you think that that has to do more so nowadays with the fact that men have less testosterone? Like we talked about that in an earlier podcast that like men mm-hmm. feeling inferior probably has it could potentially have to do with the fact that they have less testosterone than they used to have. So they have to make up for that in some way. So they use alcohol to make themselves loose and to start act like a, I mean, like a wild animal. But girls yeah. want some. That's not as intuitive a connection for me. I think it might. I think utilizing alcohol may free up men's feelings that they could behave more in more of a traditionally masculine way that might trigger a certain kind of attraction in certain women. I don't really know. Yeah. But what I, here's what, here's what I'm saying is I think one of the reasons why some Christians drink more than they should and then drink a lot more than they should is because they are, they are coping and medicating something that they're not being totally honest about. Yeah. Whether it's guys who just feel like the, the girls are going to say no when they ask them out, whether Mm -hmm. it's, whether it's guys who just don't feel like they know how to have fun. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of pain we don't even know where to fit in. I mean, sometimes they mm-hmm. just go to parties and they just want to fit in right. and they want friends and that's right. the easy way right. to do it. And I, and I, yeah. And, and like that longing and loneliness mm-hmm. behind that just want quote, just wanting to have friends. Yeah. Like it's deeper than that. Right. Because if you say, I just want to have friends. So th- what you, th- where you're going to go logic wise is, so what's the big deal? Right. And the answer is no, no, no. One of the reasons why you feel so lonely, which right. is why you quote, just want to have friends. Right. Is for deeper reasons. Right. And, mm-hmm. and like, Tito's isn't going to change that. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's going, and it's going to really, I think it really screws with these people's heads later on mm-hmm. after like you go through well, college. Cause you haven't gotten anywhere. Well, and also you'll get to the end of four years in four key years of personal maturation right. and you haven't emotionally matured very much in particularly the areas you're medicating, which is your, which right. is your wounds, which you most need to do something about. Well, and the people, and if it has anything to do with community and making friends and relationships, you'll realize that these people were only your friends when alcohol was also there. Like that, like mm-hmm. alcohol was the common denomination, common denominator, not a shared interest or something like there's something that most relationships are built upon, whatever it's like mm-hmm. value system or shared interest. That wasn't the common denominator. It was alcohol. And when you get done with college and you're done and you got to, everybody's going on to do their own thing. Those relationships just dissolve and you're kind of left there thinking, well, I thought these people were my friends, but it seems to me like 
they were only my friends when it was convenient for both of us to just go get trash. And that I've seen that's yeah. messed with people's And or that's the basis of your relationship yes, rather than right. a deeper mutual affection about a purpose in life. And it seems to me that a lot it, of them... Oftentimes for, the drinking and the frivolity of those lungs is, right. is the common path of your friendship. And right. once you have a life mm-hmm. where you have any responsibilities, that is not the basis of useful friendships. Yeah. You know what I mean? You want people who can accomplish things and do stuff and want to want to go do some things that are meaningful. Yeah. You know? And so when then, then when they get, yeah. So then then they basically have a huge problem with making friends and having relationships, like, like building relationships after that. And that's probably what's caused a lot of, I mean, I have little respect for like millennials, the, the millennial generation. And I think, I think partially what has frustrated me with, with this is I'm talking and hearing about how they've interacted with women, even at high point and like a lot of the millennials in general, like Christian millennials I'm talking about mm-hmm. their inability to just like go up to a girl and like ask her out. Like they're always texting girls and asking them out on text mm-hmm. and being weird and not being forthright and, <laughs> and like not just saying I like you or I don't like you. And then there's a stupid game played about it and everybody's playing this dumb little game and it's, it's driven by millennial men. It's driven because they're, won't ask anybody out. And I think that this has to do with it. Do you think that there's a delayed commitment to a longer term relationship in in millennial women? I've heard, I've heard younger men say there's a, women don't want to have, they're not looking for husbands. They're looking, like totally like they're, they're going to do more school. They're going to do their career. They're looking to get married when they're like 32. They're so independent and they think that everything revolves around them. And basically these women want these men to just like, they want to kind of like drag them around with them until they're done with all their stuff. And then the man will still be there. And when the guy realizes that they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to date you because I'm not going to get married to you until I'm like 40. Mm -hmm. So like, let's just be done with this. And then the girls complain. Yeah. But I also think that these men are like. I mean, from my, from the way that I, I mean, I've used the word coward a lot, but I think that that's generally how I describe millennial men in the church because they, there's no communication about that. Even like, yeah. like the, the millennial women don't even know that. Okay. Let, the me, men think let me push that. back on this a little bit. Yeah. See what you think. Yeah. Um, I think that the last 30, what am I? 44. So 25 ish years. Yeah. We have done a lot to try to keep children from being traumatized by harms like bullying <laughs> And yet when we couldn't do that and kids were traumatized by things like bullying and all kinds of conflicts, yeah. they had, they also had opportunities to flex their courage muscles because yes. courage right. is something that's developed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so there are some places where yes. you can develop courage, like sports, like very right. competitive sports yes. and contact sports. Um, and maybe some other places, yeah. but there, there's not a lot of places where young people, are forced to flex their courage muscles yeah. in varying levels of flexibility. So you get, you get a, a guy yes. who's like 18 or 19 or 20 or something or 25, 26, or 25 27, yeah. and they just have not exercised right. facing conflict and handling it well, because yeah. asking a girl out and dating a woman is conflict ridden, right? Because you're in conflict with yourself because right. it's, there's fear. Yes. Right. Right. And, um, yeah. so, so, so I, when I look at some of these millennial guys that I really, f- I wish they would just do some of those things. Right. I try to have some compassion on them because I got bullied on the baseball diamond when I was a kid and I had to yeah. learn that you have to stand up to bullies and to stand up to bullies, you have to learn to stand up for yourself and, right. and therefore you have to stand up within yourself. Right. And you just have to say no. Like you it, have took to be me, say it took me like a decade to learn that. It took yeah. like, I got bullied. I got kicked around. I felt inferior. I went all right. throughout, and then finally I was like, listen, I'm not going to live my life this way. Yeah. Like I'm, I don't know how bad it is to get my, the crap beaten out of me. Right. But that's going to have to happen a few times, I think, but I can't, 
live like a coward. I can't yeah. live like a weakling yes, in right. this world. And so I started standing up to bullies. And you, you know what that made me? I never got beat up. Because a lot of these boys, <laughs> they, they, a lot of boys understand the game that nobody's actually going to stand up to them. Yeah. And well, one time I stood up, I stood up to, it was a couple of football players and I thought I was going to get my butt killed. Yeah. And like nine other dweebs stood up with me. Really? Yeah. Like I looked around and there's like five on each side of me. Yeah. And the guy's like. They're just outnumbered at Yeah. This and I'm point. like, we're still going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> still, but it looks a lot better. But the better. guy was like, the, but the bully guy knew yeah. this was not a place to push politically. Yeah. Because if, a, if, if, some, if people were coalescing around me, yeah. I was not the kid to bully. Yes. Right. You need to bully people who can't be a leader. Yes. And who won't. So, so he, the guy right. never, in fact, he started treating me decently. Yeah. You know, and that happened right. a number of times. And there, was, there were a couple of times where right. I stood up to bullies right. and they were going to beat the crap out of me. And their friends, the bullies' friends was like, don't do this. Right. This is stupid. This doesn't, this isn't right. Because like yeah. they wanted to, they, it felt right to bully a coward. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel right to bully a brave person you can dominate. Yeah. So like there's a sign, there's a scene in the movie Geronimo where like he's going around, he's killing like white settlers because yeah. they kill a lot of his people, you know, and there's right. this guy, there's these people pleading for his life. This guy who like punches the guy who's pleading for his life. He says, listen, right. no matter what you say, this guy's going to kill you. Yeah. Don't be a coward. Right. Right. And Geronimo kills everybody but that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's right. like, he's like, you're a scumbag, white man. But at least you weren't a coward. At least yeah. you were brave. Right. If I come back, you're still here. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and, and there's there's something like that, even in the heart of bullies, where they're like, right. okay, I have to respect this guy. Right. I mean, there were a lot of people who who hated Martin Luther King's guts in a way, like white segregationists, but they also yeah. kind of respected him. Yeah, because he was sticking up to everybody. Yeah, because he, he had was, guts. Yeah. You know. And he was doing what nobody else was going to do. I think to to the point on like the millennial generation of of men, and like I, I'm attacking the men. Like I, mm-hmm. I think that the women there's a reason why there's a bunch of 30 year old women who are married like that. I think there's a reason. And not a lot of, not a lot of these women want to actually take any responsibility, but when it comes to men, it, but there's, I think there's a lot, it's encouraging to me that there are a lot that do like high point. We have so many weddings and yeah, people who are yeah, like choosing yeah. responsibility in long-term relationship and growing together and all of those kinds of things. Yeah. I think that, and, and what I don't want to do is say like all of you who are listening, who are not yet engaged or married, like right. you're stupid. What I would say is, if you're not where you want to be, right? One of the questions to ask is why? Why? Yeah. And because it's only I like I have I have never pastored somebody that mm-hmm. was just too ugly or weak to get married. No. Yeah. I mean, dude, some of the least yeah. attractive people in my churches have gotten married to some of the most fantastic spouses right. and had very happy marriages right. and yeah. lives, and it's because they were. They found a place into their personality and right. their personal courage and who mm-hmm. they were that was very attractive. Do you think that these millennials, their generation is, is my, I've just been perplexed by why they talk and act the way that they do, like the inability yeah. to just push back on anything. And there's always this hesitance <sighs> yeah. and like, Andy, I believe, okay, so this, blows my this mind. is something that might be debatable, but one of the things I believe after 20 years of pastoring is that self-esteem child development development produces adults with incredibly strong senses of inferiority self-esteem child development like so so like, parents like when you who try are to like pump up focusing, kids self-esteems giving them all they, the awards right, they like know that you're a liar yeah they know that what you're saying about them isn't true right but now there is this like you've created this like idea in them yes that they're right. a success and they know if they do anything like they're gonna yeah. fail Right. 
Yeah. Because things are hard and they haven't yes. really developed the skills yeah. to be good because yeah. success takes 10,000 failures. Right. And if you're told you're fantastic, but now you're risking that fantasticness yeah. because if you do any of these things that will actually produce long-term success, you're going to fail 10,000 times and look yeah. like an idiot. Right. Well, and it has to do with the way that the parents are actually parenting the kids right. and discipline. They're not really doing much discipline. They're doing a bunch of like. Right. And what Ray Baumeister mm. showed in the self-esteem literature was yeah. that all of that self-esteem tracks accomplishment. Right. So that like, like a kid in, who's a junior in high school, their self-esteem is ordered around their games relative to what they actually achieved as a sophomore. Yeah. Not what you told them they were as they become a junior. Yeah. They don't live up into your expectations. Yeah. They believe that they can see, succeed based on the successes right. they've had. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. so if you, one of the things that you have to do, if you're struggling with that is you mm-hmm. need to realize that like in a lot of ways that was not your fault. Like, mm-hmm. like that 40 year run of self-esteem parenting. That's not or even over yet. Yeah. No, it's incredibly it's actually gotten more. I mean, in it's a lot of ways, so misguided and yeah. I would argue it's abusive. Yes. Yeah. And I, th- and if you were parented that way and right. your schools treated you that way, that wasn't your fault. You yeah. didn't do that. Right. Boomers did that. It is an interesting. And they thought yeah, it was going to be I good because right. they grew up hard. Yes. You know, they grew up in a hard difficult. world and they thought, man, we don't have to raise our kids in such a hard world. Why don't yeah. we, why don't we love them more? And so, and Just they, and loving them more was good. Yeah. But what, but because it wasn't rooted in Christ and the discipline of the gospel and those sorts yeah. of things, it went too far yeah. and in going too far, it became all Dr. Spocky and all that. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting thing. And parenting got essentially yeah. parenting got ruined by psychologists because we didn't right. listen to our grandparents anymore. Yeah. I will. I was going to give you a story about when I was a kid. Cause I think that a lot of this, like, there's this, a stigma around discipline now with children. I, I think about a story. When I was a kid, I went to High Point for, for kindergarten, and I was at High Point school. And I was hitting kids all the time. Like, I was punching kids. And the teachers would be like, you got to stop punching kids. And I was, obviously, I was like, no, like, this is great. And I thought everybody liked it. And you know, I'm a kindergarten, so I couldn't figure out that that's not something that people like. And so they call my mom, and they're like, look, Andy keeps hitting all these kids, he keeps, and we can't get him to stop. We keep telling him to stop. We go to the principal's office or whatever. And my mom was like, just let me handle this. Give me, give me a day. So I go back home, and I get home, and my mom's like, so Andy, I, like I heard you've been hitting kids a lot, and I'm like excited. I'm like, yeah, I've been hitting kids, and she's like, oh okay, like is that fun? Do you like doing that? And I was like, I was like, yeah, this is like it's super fun. Yeah, and you she just goes, hit them and they cry, and they, and they cry like. And my mom was like, okay, all right, so you like the you like playing hit, and she's like, well, do you want to play the hit game with me? And I was like, absolutely. I was excited about it. And my mom was gonna play the hit game with me, and she goes, all right, let's play the hit game. She goes, you go first. So I hit her in the face. She goes, okay, all right, it's my turn. And I was like. I was like, okay, and I was excited, and she smacked me across the head, not super hard because mm-hmm. I was six years old, but enough to make me feel uh-huh. like I should, I, like you were like, wait, it's I, not fun to ever see I, this. <laughs> I never hit anybody again until yeah. like high school, which was a different circumstance. But I think I realized, like, be careful how hard you hit somebody because there might be somebody out there that could hit you a little bit harder, <laughs> and so you just gotta like be careful. But that type of story, now if you tell that to the wrong crowd, which I think is the millennials, they get almost offended that my mom would do something like that. Like, Oh, how dare her. And it's like, that taught me an extremely valuable lesson. Even to this day, it's like, be careful what you say or how hard you hit in anything because somebody else could potentially hit harder. So you just got to be more careful about what you do. And it was a valuable lesson. At some point you're kind of like, hitting other people is about justice and giving people what they deserve. And most people don't deserve for me to hit them. And right. that's right. But like, it's like, do you want to get your justice then too? <laughs> yeah. Cause you deserve a bunch of right. crap. Yeah. Right. So. What you deserve for hitting people is to get hit. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think that that's true, but I, I, I want to go back to this to I, like, for millennial listeners. Like, yeah, you didn't choose how you were parented. Right. You yeah. didn't choose how this culture was. You didn't, you didn't choose the safetyism that Lukianov and, um, 
so and so I forget the other guy's name right now. Um, talked about in like the calling of the American mind. Like you didn't create. We, that we stuff. just we're gonna buy that one. But yeah. here's what I would say to you: you are choosing whether or not to re- to receive it, whether or not to believe it, mm-hmm. whether or not to let it shape you, at, and to whether or not you're going to form your own soul, heart, and mind um, against it, mm-hmm. because it's it, the safetyism is not going to produce courage. It's not going to produce yeah. the capacity to, to achieve the kind of life mm-hmm. that you want and that God has given you the capability. Yeah. Like the, the, there are certain strengths of character like grit that you have to achieve. Right. And nurturing cannot produce them. That, that's one of the great fallacies of the feminization of American culture. Like right. there was a time when, when American culture was too masculinized. Yeah. And so the idea was by toughening everybody up, they will, we will maximize them. Yeah. That's not true. No. Right. It's but, by balance. I mean, right, but then, then what happened is right. we, so we feminized the culture and now it's yeah, like, right. if the more we nurture people, the more they'll re- achieve their potential. Right. That is also not true. Right. You have to balance it out. Right. They have to, I mean, and so what, when it comes to like the millennials and, and being able to deal with conflict, I think in regards to, I think that seeped over into my generation in regards or like in relation to alcohol, because it's like, the inability to just say no to these things because of all the social pressure and because nothing, you know, nobody ever said no to you. Mm-hmm. That seems to be extremely difficult. Like when I walk in to a wedding and I won't touch any alcohol, sometimes people are like, w- like, why won't you touch alcohol? And it's mm-hmm. like, like, how could you do like, how do you have the, like, how could you possibly do that? And it's just like, I think just because I can just say no to that and it's not mm-hmm. difficult to say no for me, other people, it's like the hardest thing in the world to just say no to something. And so mm-hmm. why is it that, I guess how can Christians deal with that? How can young Christians deal with, start to say no to these things that they know that they probably can't handle? Like, especially when it comes to alcohol, it feels like there's yeah. no, and just say no to yeah. your friends. I mean, too. for me, the goal is to get to where you can handle anything that is permissible, even if you choose not to utilize it. Yeah. Right. So I would, I would say to every Christian, I'm, I mean, there's some folks that are going to be driving a broken enough bodily machine and psychological machine that they just, they do need to stay away from it as a, yeah coping mechanism throughout their life on this earth. Yeah. However, I think to the extent to which creation carries over in heaven, which I think there is a strong element of that. Yeah. I would not be surprised if we, we drink alcohol regularly in heaven Mm. or something like it. Do Um, you think sexual? I mean, what do you think of that? I don't really know. Honestly. Yeah. Like I, I could rationalize a number of different things. Yeah. Uh, And I just haven't, I just don't know. And do you, I have a real quick question. Do you think that our bodies in heaven will be similar to our bodies on earth as we were made in the image of God? Because on earth we're made in the image of God, but they'll just be like hyper. I think there will be similarities. Yes. I like, I don't think we're going to look like huge bumblebees or something. Like I think, I think we'll be humanoid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that I, I think that Jesus had a glorified body and he was looked like Jesus. Yeah, he was a man. So I don't I don't really know. Interesting. Um and I don't know about sexuality. I mean I tend I yeah, that's a again, I'm trying to stay on this yeah, podcast. I, yeah. Obviously, <laughs> you know how my mind works is everything is connected. And so yeah. I wanna I wanna tease out all these connections. But relative to alcohol, I think there's alcohol. I think looking at the council of scripture. So for example, Proverbs twenty one says Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Mm-hmm. Whoever's led astray by them is not wise. Yes. So yeah. like that, that's one fundamental principle relative to wisdom. Right. That um, wine, when you start consuming it, has a momentum to get you to a place where it produces mockery 
mm-hmm. or it produces a it, it produces a behavior you wouldn't do otherwise yeah right and beer is a brawler so like one is like you say things you shouldn't say mm-hmm. that is you treat things with the wrong kind of meaning that's what mockery is right is like yes. something so right. like if you, so like treating a woman like a, objectifying a woman right. is a mockery yeah. of what oh. god has created that woman to be right, right? Yes. and so if you drink wine and then mm-hmm. you mock mm-hmm. her femininity that is yeah. you objectify right you or, mocked her or you and mock you... the leader the you know you you mock like a like you mock anything that yeah. shouldn't be mocked. Right? Uh, Joe Biden, you mock Joe Biden and you're mocking Joe Biden and you're also mocking God as a creator of Joe Biden right. made in his image. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Like it says in James, like with our mouths, we curse men who are made in God's image. Yes. Right. right. So and it's even if somebody like, like when you were sober, you would be like, I don't like him. Right. But, but like this, the stuff you'll say about <laughs> Joe Biden Right. Drunk is not productive. And that's why people say like drunk, drunk words are sober thoughts or something like that. And it's yes. like the, the drunk words should, or they should have been sober thought. Like they should have just stayed sober thoughts because right. he shouldn't have ever said any of that. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so I think that's important. I think looking at, um, Ephesians, um, five where, mm-hmm. where Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Yeah. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul doesn't say, don't get drunk on wine because wine is bad. He says, don't get drunk on wine because it leads to debauchery. Debauchery mm-hmm. is basically like the overturning of moral con- restraint. Yeah. it's mm-hmm. And he's like, that's what happens. Yeah. So if you're filled with wine, it takes away your human capacity to live for godliness. Yeah. And it leads you to throwing off all moral restraint because you just right. don't care. Yeah. Right. He said, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Right. And so being filled with the Spirit is essentially the opposite. Right. It fills you with the right kind of caring and the right kind of interest so that you'll behave beautifully. Right. And so I think both of those passages, one is, is a wisdom principle. The other is a spiritual principle. Yeah. Right. I think that there's one more I want to say, which is in terms of like the kind of people that we are in terms of being like larger people in Proverbs 31 verse four, it says this. And this is like most people know the Proverbs 31 about the, the noble woman. Yeah. But before that, there's a section about what a, the noble prince is. Hmm. And I think that if you're going to focus on what gender looks like in Proverbs 31, you need to look at both passages. That yeah. the noble prince is proper manhood. Mm-hmm. And the part about the noble wife is proper womanhood in mm-hmm. a certain way. It doesn't mean that that's like the only picture, but it's like a profoundly clear one. Yeah. And so it starts in verse four, it says this. Um, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, f- not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer. Hmm. lest they drink and forget what the law decrees yeah. and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. And then he says this, and this is, you wouldn't expect this to be the next verse. Give beer to those who are perishing and wine to those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Now that's huh. antinomial parallelism. It doesn't necessarily mean that you want to just anybody who's hurting, you should just give them the There's maximum amount of alcohol, alcohol so yeah. they can get as wasted as possible. That's probably what, why they're hurting in a lot of situations. Yeah, but what, he, what yeah. he's saying is, is that those people who are lost in English and in poverty, yeah, it's not their job to be the king. It's your job to be the king. Yeah, it's not their job to remember right. the law and give other people their rights. Right. It's your job. Right. And so because of that, you have to have yeah. your wits about you, and you right. have to be sober. Yeah. Basically, it's just saying they don't. You hold a different responsibility than them. Right. And you just need to understand that about yourself and not be so like, oh, this person's doing this. And that's a diff- that's and so a- you could take out the word kings. Right. And, and just put, put in sons and daughters of God. Yeah. Like it's not for you, son and daughter of God. Yeah. To act like a perishing fool. Yeah. Who is 
has consigned themselves to destruction and is no longer trying to live right. towards life. Sure. Right. Yeah. That's not your, your job is to hold, hold the law, the law hold of God, to the truth, the true right? law. Yeah. And, and so it, it doesn't mean that Christians should give non-Christians as much alcohol as possible. Yeah. It, what it means <laughs> is, is that yeah. people who have given up or who are not, um, who are not in a position where they have a particular kind of responsibility, yeah. but are instead are in despair. He's like, don't, don't take the wine away from them. And don't like, hold yourself to their standard gonna, because their standard is right. not the standard of scripture. And I think that's the bottom line of that. The, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of young people are just like, well, man, all these other people are doing it, not understanding the, like right. the responsibility put on a, a Christian is not, is like one, not to judge the non-believer. You shouldn't judge the non-believer because there's nothing that they believe in. And two, that you're held to a higher standard because you're a believer. So you don't compare yourself to the non-believer either. Right. And as and, an example, and it's of not Christ, that you literally mean non-believers believe in nothing, but it's like, there's nothing, there's nothing in particular yes, right. in their worldview that would say, don't drink, don't drink. Yeah. Right. Or don't get drunk at all. And don't have yeah. sex. There's no, there's no reason why they shouldn't do that. And if I was a non-believer, I would be doing the same things. The, the, and yeah, mm-hmm. it seems like the difference between like the responsibility and how young people interact with, with with being, I mean, I guess just understanding that live, being a Christian is difficult. It's not easy, especially in a, in a world where everybody wants to do whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's all generally, I think, I think that begins with, with the ability to self-reflect, which we talked about in a different one, to be like, what things am I good at? What things am I terrible at? And so mm-hmm. where do you, I mean, where do you think Christians should start on like a journey towards I mean, there's a lot of young Christians who are just not caring about what, I mean, we talked about alcohol, we talked about sex and anger. There's a lot of young Christians who just don't care. There's a lot of Christians in general who just don't care. Where do you start with it? Where do you start to get better at these things? Where do I say, okay, I'm, I suck with anger. I'm getting angry all the time. What do I do to be more self-reflective and to, and to realize when these things are starting or whether it was drinking or sexual sin? Yeah. Um, for me, uh, that would be a, a question I would want to contextualize, right? So, yeah. So, in terms of discipleship, I mean, I want to tell people what being a disciple means. I yeah. want to teach people the doctrine of surrender that yeah. you have to believe that Jesus is King. Yeah. And with that, you have to believe. And you that have to listen to Kanye's album, Jesus is King. Yeah. <laughs> that could be one tool, ministry be. tool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think that you've got to you've got to help people understand, like it says all through Ezekiel, and then you will know that I am the Lord, that mm-hmm. is the King, the Master. But you've got to believe, you've got to believe that God is a good master, mm-hmm. like that, that everything he commands as like a commanding officer is for the good of mm-hmm. what he wants to accomplish, which is good. And it's also good for you. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's not until you realize that like all these commands are like good and pleasant or like, mm-hmm. like there's a place where David says to God, all of the bo- your boundary lines have fallen mm-hmm. to me in pleasant places. And in that, it means literally the boundaries of his kingdom. Yeah. But it, he means that he means it metaphorically as well, that like God has created a space in his life on the basis of what God has done in his life as he's believed in and followed him. Mm-hmm. And it's created this, like this kingdom basically mm-hmm. that he inhabits. And he's like, it's, it's a, it's pleasant. Like it's, it's pleasant. There means like good and very wholesome and rich. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that really is kind of like the opposite of what sin produces and in including the misuse of alcohol. Yeah. Like if you, like one of my daughters has been around some people who have drunk, been drinking mm-hmm. and she's like that. It just feels like they, it feels like they just get a lot dumber and then they think really dumb things are interesting. 
and they mm-hmm. think really stupid things are profound. And mm-hmm. so like they can't actually engage in what's meaningful mm-hmm. or good mm-hmm. because they just, they're not functioning at a high enough level as a being anymore. John's got that story of when he was on acid or oh, something right. and he like zoomed out. He was like, had an autobot experience. He like zoomed out and he saw these strands coming out of the, the earth to diff- and it would connect different places to different places. Uh. And his whole like, uh, I guess it's like revelation that he realized through that was like that we're all connected. And yeah. it's like, that's not really profound <laughs> at all. That's just dumb. But like yeah. in the moment he thought that that was like, hey, that was profound. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was huge. So, and that's yeah. kind of what happens in those situations. Or... Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen the movie, I heart Huckabees. Mm. It's like, there's some of that in there mm-hmm. it, and they don't mock it as deeply as maybe I think, but it's kind of, yeah, sure. it is kind yeah. of funny how they mock it because yeah, like I, I, I can't tell you how many people I have, I know who have got either drunk or so, or usually on some kind of drug where they they have this insight that like everything's connected and they're like, yeah. oh my gosh, so yeah. deep. And you're this like, is big. Yeah, it's not really that yeah. deep. I and mean, we've known that for a while. Yeah, like everything, connected. everything's connected. Yeah. I, mean, I knew that I was sober. You know? <laughs> so actually, you're an idiot that you had to get drunk to figure that out. Yeah, and yeah. I do think like when you experience it in like a trans transcendental altered consciousness state, it feels really powerful. Yeah, and you feel like right. you feel in your soul. And I think that's true. But I've had that experience in worship at church. Yes. Where right. like I feel like the truths of what it means that God is as big as he is right. start to come home to my soul in a way. And I I have a yeah. like very profound consciousness changing right. transcendental experience. It feels but sp- I believe it's rooted in truth. Yeah. The spiritual type of connections or those like those profound connections that people generally make, non-believers generally make like when they're on drugs or when they're getting drunk, seems to be what Christians should not not those specific things but that type of feeling should be what christians are after in worship or sometimes well yeah in in the sense that alcohol can alleviate some of our inhibitions and our inhibitedness oftentimes works against us not just for us like sometimes it works for us because we don't do stupid stuff that ruins our lives yeah but also times we don't like like i said to somebody recently you love your son can you make those words come out of your mouth you know, mm-hmm. and th- th- we're just so inhibited. So like people go to worship and they don't really worship. They, yes. they're around people that they love, but they don't say, I love you so much. Yeah. And like, and th- that kind of inhibition is really bad. When people drink, mm-hmm. they're like, I love you, man. I just love you. I just, and like, they would have felt stupid. So true. They yeah. would have felt stupid yeah. saying that in yeah. the dorm. Like, but they, they did Two hours feel earlier, like, yeah. but they like, then they had the sober thought of, mm-hmm. Man, I they love really appreciate yeah. that this guy's in their life and that right. they feel like they're friends and right. and he and I'm not alone because I have friends like th- right. that feels too unsophisticated right and like not cool yes so you don't right. say it but then you get drunk and then you do say it right right because that inhibition is taken away but I then it think- confuses the receiver of that they're like oh you're only just saying this because you're drunk you don't actually think this like and depending on how drunk they are yeah rather than just they say it when they're sober and you know that it's the true thing that they believe right that would just be a better way to go about like uh, well, the yeah, appreciation inhibitions will cause them not to act like it right so that's yes. why when you're when you no. tell somebody you care about them when you're sober yeah it means more because it means i whatever whatever would inhibit me from expressing this to you i am strong enough to overcome yeah and have so anyway what so let me let me kind of wrap up what i would yeah. say to christians yeah. i would say a the bible um said the Bible treats alcohol not as a perversion of creation, but as a good product of creation that is mm-hmm. a gift from God. Yeah. Two, there is a use of alcohol that does alter our feelings that you might call pre-buzzed or buzz, or like it's kind of like a light, uh, a light version of easing mm-hmm. life and making quote the heart glad. 
yeah. which is beneficial and positive in scripture. Right. Right. And then there are numerous references to drunkenness in scripture. Yeah. And they're all negative mm-hmm. without exception. They're mm-hmm. all negative. Yeah. Scripture also teaches that sliding from the positive use of alcohol to the negative effects of the use of alcohol that like it says in Ephesians five, that drunkenness will lead to debauchery. Yeah. That wine leads to mockery, that beer leads to brawling, that like yeah. that that you could be led astray by something good. Right. And that Christians should have a certain kind of vigilance about how drinking alcohol will lead you astray. Right. And then thirdly, why do you need it? Yeah. Right. It is permissible. Right. But is it beneficial? Right. Will it make you a slave? First Corinthians six. Read that very carefully. Yeah. And then say, why do I need it? Do I feel inferior? Do I right. feel like I can't tell a woman? Do I feel like I don't have the courage to say, yeah. I'd really like to take you out or I care about you so much or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, do I have, why can't I have fun? Why can't I dance at a wedding and have fun without, without alcohol? Right. And one of the, and then when you, it gets to the realm of sexuality, um, why can't I express myself wholeheartedly in appropriately sexual ways without alcohol? Yeah. Hmm. Right. Like as a woman, do I struggle with being sexy and wanting to hmm. draw in the person who is my lover properly mm-hmm. in script, kind of like you would read in song of songs. Mm-hmm. Like there is this, like there is this full giving of mm-hmm. a wholehearted emotion, complete turning the heart over to the other person bodily Yeah, in song of songs that where there's no inhibition whatsoever. Right. Is there something mm-hmm. uh, in my Christian faith in my Christian faith's interaction with my upbringing because I grew up as a Christian because of, I grew up with sexual dysfunction in my home. Is yeah. it, is it the way I feel like people objectified me because I was, I grew up pretty. Is it the yeah. way people didn't pay any attention to me and objectified right. me because I didn't feel like I was attractive enough. Mm. I mean, in our culture, because sexual form and desirability is so at so high a premium mm-hmm. when it's never been less important economically or socially or personally, yeah. um, the traumatic effects on that are profound. And so both men and women are, are interacting with their sexual the, the interaction between the between in, sexuality and alcohol, mm-hmm. both Christianly speaking and in terms of worldliness, mm-hmm. is very profound. Yeah, and it has always gone together. Right, right. People get drink and they get after each other. Right. Mm-hmm. It, like, why is that happening? Why right. do you need that? Why do you think that that's good? Why does it feel good right. with the right? Yeah, I think that's really important for people to figure out. And I think for a lot of Christians, mm-hmm. it is either a profound sense of inferiority or a problem they're having with a sexual repressiveness that isn't Christian. Yeah. And when I say that, you might think that I'm super sex positive and I think Christians <laughs> should just have sex with, as long as they really care about the other person, they should have sex. I do not right. believe that. I mean, yeah, I believe to, the same thing about sex. Right. I believe about alcohol. Yes. It's part of creation. It's teleologically yeah. good. It's not a perversion of creation. God gave it as a beautiful gift. Yeah. I, like I could not, I can hardly say enough good about sex. I mean like technically speaking, like if you do really care about the person, you're going to marry them and then have sex with them within the bounds of like, you're going to do the thing that's right. In, in sex. So like if you actually do care about the person you would, then you would have sex. Yeah. You would be doing sex to the right, right. You got to yeah. get the order right. But, but right. You right. can't just like, Oh, we're dating and I really care about this person. Right. I want to have sex. But well, then you're telling me that you actually don't care about the person. The because, teleology of yeah. sex for image bearers right. is that sexuality is part of a comprehensive relationship. Yes. That comprehensiveness yeah, 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 yeah. is only ordered properly according to the Lord in marriage. Right. 
Right. Because in marriage, you get everything of the other person. Yeah. And you exclude other persons from that comprehensive relationship. And so you are just each other's and just each other's entirely. And you're absolutely sure that it's exclusive or you should be based off of the fact that you're married. Right. And that exclusivity is synchronic. It's everything in your life right now. And Mm -hmm. diachronic, it's through your life, even as your lives change together. And so it creates a kind of security and a place where godly offspring can be born. Yeah. Right. And, and it can be for the quote welfare and happiness of all mankind. Yeah. And that's why Christian, Christian sexual, Christian sexuality, Christian use of alcohol. And I would say Christian anger, all these altered state of consciousness events mm-hmm. have to be in Christian constraint, mm-hmm. not repression. Right. Repressing your anger doesn't work. Yeah. Repressing your sexuality doesn't work. Right. Repressing right. Um, your desire to be glad it's with gonna wine doesn't work. It's going to explode at some point. Yeah, right. you, you can't repress but, it forever. But that doesn't mean you just unleash it however you <laughs> yeah. down well please either because yeah. you're also a sinful creature and you're going to hurt everybody. So it has to be Christianly constrained yeah. within the prudence of godliness yeah. and not repressed yeah. right. and denied yeah. its existence. Right. And that's like a diff. I mean, that's a difficult thing to do with co- which causes like which requires wisdom and knowledge and all these different. Yeah, things. and when you are profoundly sexualized or hurt or carrying traumas around with you and stuff like that, using, even start, using alcohol yeah. beautifully is very difficult. Well, even to start to be able to use it beautifully, you have to to get to the point where you're like going to be able to start doing that. You have to deal with all the hurts and pains before mm-hmm. that, and then you get to that point where you're like, okay, we've dealt with these things. Now, how do I do with all this stuff going forward? And it's a yeah. long process. It doesn't take five minutes. And yeah, and I think like with most of the things and how we follow God under the new Testament law of the spirit is God leaves certain laws in place Mm -hmm. as guidelines. Like if you cross this, you know, you're not on the right track. Yeah. Right. And getting drunk is one of those. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. if you've gotten drunk or get are getting drunk, Mm -hmm. you are not on the right path. Yeah. Something is amiss. And so what that's supposed to do is not to be like, you're a bad person. You're a bad Christian. You're disgusting. God hates you. No, God, God loves you, but God wants you to see that signal. Yeah. And so you can go, wait, there's something wrong with what's happening. It's like a gauge that's Mm -hmm. in the red. You're like, Oh, this is bad. So now you got to kind of get back on track. Yeah. Maybe you need a mentor. Maybe you just need to obey right. the Lord and repent. Maybe right. whatever. I don't know. But yeah. um, but you need to get back on track. And what was the verse? And this will be the last thing that you do or that we well, that will do is that verse that you read about being a slave. Like if you're like, I, what, what did Paul say? And if it was in Ephesians where he said like. Don't uh, get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. No, but. Oh, it, you mean in, in 1 Corinthians 6? What was that? Everything's permissible but I will not be enslaved. By yeah. Anything. I think that that's a good, a good way to look at it. Like, yeah, alcohol is permissible, but just don't like be, I mean, slavery is, is clear cut. Like if you can't live, I mean, that's, yeah. you have to just look the, at it. The only danger there, Andy, I think though, is that, um, that it's too late. So like I told, I told the pastor one yeah. time, he's like, I was, so I was dating Lexi for like three and a half years. We're incredibly in love. We, mm-hmm. but we're in college. You're not supposed to quote, quote, air quotes, not supposed to get married in college. Yeah. And so we're kind of like torturing ourselves. Right. Yeah, and so I had this pastor basically say, when do you know you're going too far? And I'm like, well, I literally know when I get aroused because that means there's, I have like sexual yeah. energy going on in my body. It means yeah. I'm, I, that's, and, he, and he's like, you don't think that's too late? Huh? And I was yeah. like. Well, based on my track record, it's definitely too late, (laughs) you know? And so like you can say everything's permissible, but I won't won't be enslaved by anything. But if you go, okay, so anything that's enslaving me, I Mm -hmm. know is a problem, Mm -hmm. but that's a little late. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. So you have to know when you're going into the, into, into the slavery of it. You You need to know know that that certain kinds of use of alcohol, that is drunkenness. If you are getting drunk, you are on track to be enslaved. Mm -hmm. So don't do that. Yeah. You have to be comprehensive and, and know. Yeah. And you have to be, you have to be prepared. There's and so, so for, a, for most people, I think for most people, you should know how many drinks you can have an hour. Yeah. 
or over three hours. Yeah. And you should know that. And people who you go somewhere with, they should know your, so like for me, mm-hmm. it's, um, I can drink three drinks in two hours mm-hmm. and that will take the edge off for me, but I will still control my tongue. Right. And let's see, I mean, we've been married for 23 years. Like, so she knows how much I can, how much alcohol I can drink and I can still behave properly and be in control of my behavior. And, um, I think that's important. Yeah. Right. And so, and I, I yeah. And Lexi always drinks less than it for her. Cause she, she's, she is, there's a certain fear of just being out of control for her, but there's also a a really high, she has a very high level of modesty. Mm -hmm. And so the one of the, I mean, she does not want to act immodestly. And of course that's the first thing alcohol does. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Whereas I kind of think I'm, I think I'm hilarious and I think people like it when I'm the life of the party and make everybody laugh and have a good time. So I like being immodest. And so I, I have to be more careful than her. I, yeah, I'm more on that side too. I like it. Yeah. So, I mean, we're an hour and a half in, so, so we'll close this thing out, but I think that's a good, uh, a good way to end it. Um, and I mean, we'll just have a couple more podcasts coming up here soon. I'm getting married this weekend, so it probably won't be one for a couple of weeks, but we'll, we could do one on what does it mean to be a woman and, and I, we have some things planned, but, um, other than that, make sure you like, subscribe, follow, share this with your friends and we'll catch you guys in the next one. Goodbye. See you later.